welcome to the Nursing Podcast. This is Landon. And hello, this is Monique. Coming to you yet again from the Kitchen of Knowledge. Absolutely, and Mama Monique has already looked after Landon. We've had lunch, we've had salad, we've had coffee, so we're raring to go. Perfect. So, Monique, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I think, well, we were sitting here talking about it, and I think we're going to talk about the weird and wacky world of weed. Um, And I think we're going to do it a little bit differently today. We're going to actually talk about two different case reports, and I'm going to start, and then Landon is going to end. So let me just kind of start us off by talking about a young lady that I saw last week, and she was about 24 years old, and she came into the emergency department complaining of a vague shortness of breath, little sternal chest pain when she lay down. And that started the night before. She tells you that she's previously healthy, She has no recent cold or cough. She has no fever or chills. She hasn't traveled anywhere. She doesn't smoke. She's not on birth control pills, no illicit type drugs, no calf tenderness, uh, no history of the same thing. So before I even got to see her, the nurses had ordered an ECG, which was normal, and basic blood work was done, and her urine was negative. So I decided to add a D-dimer, and for those of you who have heard our previous podcast, I ordered it as it was a low pretest probability of a PE or a DVT, and of course I was expecting it to be normal. Imagine my surprise when it was elevated. Uh-oh. And be- Exactly, and because it's elevated, now I'm obliged to take the next step and order a CT chest to rule out a PE. So in reviewing the CT chest with the radiologist, interesting, she didn't have a PE, but she did have a pneumomediastinum. And the radiologist who actually told me that House was not an internal medicine doctor, he actually was a radiologist. (laughs) But he said to me when he saw the findings, he said, are you sure that the patient, the patient must have been smoking marijuana? And I said, what are you talking about? She told me absolutely that she didn't take any kind of drugs. And he says, I'm telling you, this finding on the CT, I guarantee you that she's smoking marijuana. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I went back to see her. And well, of course, they were right. And she had stated that she'd gone to a party a couple of nights ago and she had smoked marijuana. So can I just take you back a step? Some of our listeners may not have CT and a radiologist uh, sitting in the same room with them. Just define pneumomediastinum for us. Sure. So it's air that's actually caught above your mediastinum, basically. Yeah. And I'll explain it a little bit more. Okay. So let me just talk a little bit about marijuana. Although maybe you all know about marijuana, but I'm going to just talk a little bit more about it. So it's the second most widely smoked substance in our society after tobacco. And based on the fact that there is quite a prevalence of Well, it's not even illicit use now. Here in BC, we certainly have a lot of our BC bud or BC weed. And the recent interest in legislation in the medicinal use of marijuana, I think it is important that we understand some of these weird and wacky type of syndromes from smoking marijuana. And many states in the United States now, although federally it's still uh, illegal, illegal, many states have decriminalized it, which is, uh, you know, our listeners in the U.S. are probably seeing a lot of this in a more open format than Absolutely. in the past. So marijuana smoker, smoking is actually associated with barotrauma. And the difference between smoking marijuana uh, from tobacco, and I only know this by reading because I've never smoked anything, is that marijuana smokers have a larger puff volume, 
greater depth of inhalation, and then they have a longer breath holding time. And there have been a few cases of spontaneous pneumothorax or pneumomediastinum reported in association with marijuana smoking. And the possible mechanisms for this association might involve either repeated deep inhalations during the smoking of marijuana, followed by like prolonged valsalva maneuvers or deep inhalation through a high resistant smoking apparatus like a bong. Um, and in either case, you have a rupture of these subpleural blebs or alveoli with dissection of air into the pleural space or into the mediastinum. So back to what you were asking me, what uh, a or pneumomediastinum is, is that uh, dissection of air into the mediastinal space. Now, most of the time, this is actually a very benign, self-limiting condition, and you don't really need to do anything about it. But there is a subsection of these people that actually will end up having an esophageal rupture because of wow. that valsalva, uh, prolonged valsalva maneuver. And so if you see any kind of suspicion of that on a CT, they may actually require a thoracic consult and a swallowing assessment, like a barium swallow, to ensure that the esophagus hasn't ruptured. Now, interestingly, um, my patient's pneumomediastinum was actually quite extensive all the way down to the carina. It did look like she may have had some kind of esophageal rupture. So she did actually end up being admitted to the hospital and having the thoracics folks doing a test to ensure that everything was okay. In fact, it was all fine and she was discharged home. So I learned really, first of all, that you need to tell patients that illicit drugs actually includes marijuana and maybe I need to question it a little bit differently. And there might be a question that some of you might have asked me, why didn't I start with a that chest x-ray? That was going to be my question. I know, and I did think about it later. I think because I, I wasn't sure that there was anything actually going on, that I actually didn't, I didn't even think to not order a chest x-ray. Because you were thinking it, PE at this I was, point, right? and I think I might, I, yeah, it was that a bit That old D-dimer led you down I the know. wrong road. But, you know, the thing is, even with a chest x-ray, I might have missed a small uh, pneumomediastinum, but... If I did, would it have made any difference? Because it's a benign self-limiting condition. So the fear really is missing that esophageal tear. Although the case reports have said that this is a rare occurrence and usually patients go through quite an extensive, often unnecessary workup and often it has a negative finding. So it's of interest, but I'm not sure I would have changed my clinical practice at all. And interestingly enough, they there were studies that actually, not studies, but case reports that actually showed that people often were led down there, is this a PE route, did a D-dimer, which was elevated. And as if you had listened to our D-dimer, D-dimers are elevated for lots of different reasons besides here's it being another a one. PE, exactly. <laughs> but very interesting case though. And so she survived. She I'm did, assuming. absolutely. Yeah, she was discharged from hospital, no esophageal rupture, and uh, a little note for me to say, don't smoke pot. Perfect. Uh, well, let's go on to the second case, which is an interesting thing that I learned recently. And, and we do, we live in, in British Columbia, which is the, the marijuana smoking capital of, of the planet, I think. And, <laughs> I think so. And I think for both of us to have these strange occurrences was uh, educational for us and we wanted to share it. So uh, mine, I was, I was working in a smaller emergency department, uh, helping out in my other job doing transport. And there was a young female, she was uh, about 16, 17 years old, came in with 
what was described as cyclic vomiting syndrome, which I know it makes a lot of people do the eye roll because the cyclic vomiting syndrome is kind of, it's ethereal and we don't really know what to do about it and we don't know where it comes from and and they just sit there and vomit forever and and we look at them. Uh, So anyway, she, she came in with this and came into our uh, area that I was tr- we were treating her in and denied drug use, denied previous this happening, thought she had food poisoning, but th- this was not food poisoning vomiting. Mm-hmm. This was this just repeated and the loud, it's the noise. And Anyway, she had 50 of gravol, she had 8 of undanzatron, and she just kept vomiting. Mm-hmm. And the emergency physician said to me, give her 2.5 milligrams of Haldol, I think it'll work. And I looked at him and went, Haldol. I've never used Haldol for vomiting. Yeah. Uh, we used to use Stematil for vomiting, but yeah. never Haldol. What's this going to do? And, yeah. she's, and he said, oh, she's smoked pot. She's just not telling us. And I, of course, I'm supposed to be one of the smart ones. I looked at him with the, I don't care no, if he smoked pot. I still don't <laughs> understand how Haldol's going to work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, like a good nurse, I, I smiled and nodded. He could just tell the look on my face. So he actually handed me this one-pager article that was in the Canadian Medical Association Journal that they actually have on the wall in this place because they see it a lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll put the link to the actual article uh, on the show notes for this episode. But it explained this cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which I'll talk about. So anyway, we gave this girl two and a half milligrams of, of Haldol, and within about five minutes, she was pulling her own IV out and ready to go home. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so I was left kind of standing there as the stunned person going, wow, after so many years. It's great some days when you stand there and go, I have no idea what just happened, because that makes me go back to work the next day. So, so let's talk a little bit about, about mm-hmm. this. So, so the first thing is to separate the cyclic vomiting syndrome and cannabinoid, I know I'm probably not saying that right, hyperemesis syndrome, which we'll call CHS, CHS. from now on. <laughs> yeah, a little easier for all uh, of us. The CHS is a part of cyclic vomiting syndrome. Right. Part of the frustration we have with these patients is we are in the, the, the profession of figuring out why, fixing it, and sending you along the conveyor belt of, mm-hmm. of healthcare. And... These are patients that no one can really figure out why uh, the, the cyclic vomiting, and they're difficult to manage. They yeah. often come in all the time yeah. to emergency departments Absolutely. because they have nowhere else to go. Uh, their family doctor doesn't know what to do. Specialists aren't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And everything's normal. Their ultrasound's yeah. normal. Their CT normal. They've yeah. had gastroscopies. They've had a tube put in every hole and a few more holes made to put tubes in, and nothing comes, comes up. up. Yeah. So... Anyway, so CHS being a part of that is associated with long-term or excessive marijuana use, and it is characterized by this vomiting associated with abdominal pains. Uh, Now, an interesting thing, and I won't take credit for learning this part, Monique discovered this little tidbit, is they seem to compulsively shower sometimes as it provides some transient symptomatic relief. So there isn't much evidence to explain why this a marijuana use leads to this and it's not something that everyone gets however it is something that if people get it they probably will get it with right. marijuana use so uh it's kind of like having an allergy uh if you're allergic to peanuts don't eat peanuts the, the guy next to you might not get sick from eating peanuts but exactly. if you do it's not going to suddenly go away and so that's kind of the thing and part of the discharge teaching is hey, lucky you're one of these people uh, yeah. i guess you shouldn't smoke pot anymore 
So there are some theories. They, they may have a hypersensitivity to cannabis following several years of exposure. This girl flat out denied she smoked pot, period, but we gave her a little wink and a nudge and said maybe you should slow stop down the it. pot use or stop it. But cannabis does have a, a long half-life, uh, weeks or months in the body. So regular use, and, and again, because it's a, an illegal substance, it's harder to research, and so yeah. we don't really know where it's stored, where it's absorbed, how long it sticks around. The, the studies are kind of not necessarily the, the most academic. So we've, we know that regular use may lead to some acu- accumulation mm-hmm. and may give some rise to toxicity in the hypersensitive patient. It has been shown that cannabis does delay gastric emptying. Uh, so if they're toxic from that, that may lead to gastric nothingness and therefore they may just be throwing up lots and lots and lots um and now this bathing thing's kind of fascinating i know it's weird why don't you why don't you give us a little rundown on the bathing well it's kind of strange because there there's presence of cannabinoid receptors in the limbic system of our brain and when you have this toxicity it may actually disrupt the thermoregulating system of the hypothalamus and this disruption might settle with hot bathing or showering So isn't it strange that your body actually recognizes that maybe this will help, even though you don't understand what it is? I think it just distracts you from your stomach, uh, from this kind of limbic disruption from your thermoregulating system. I think we talked about it as being, I know, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Very strange. So, so back to some of the features of this. Again, we, we don't know a whole lot about this. It's, uh, the article I'm going to post is one page. Like that's, it's, it's not something that we got a lot of info on. It, they may have a history of several years of cannabis use prior to the onset of hyperemesis. Uh, or it may be first time hyperemesis. It will follow a cyclic, sorry, cyclical pattern every few weeks or months often for many years, and there's regular cannabis use in the background. Yeah. Uh, return to cannabis use will return the hyperemesis. This isn't right. something that you get cured from. Obviously, stopping the use of marijuana will stop this, will make this go away. Yeah. But starting again will make it come back. It's not a, a one-time deal. Uh, and then back to that bathing. They may compulsively bathe. This girl did not compulsively bathe, although it's not part of my standard yeah. ED admission <laughs> questions. Have so you been, well, I didn't actually ask her bathing. if she'd had 47 showers that day. Maybe she yeah. had. She wasn't telling us lots anyway. But uh, yeah, that's news to me. Now, it's interesting because I was going to ask you this because I do think that when you do know people, I think it, it does become really difficult with frequent flyers. Um, and especially when they're not honest with you as well, is for us to kind of anchor on a diagnosis. Mm. And, you know, your girl is 17 years old, right? So there might be other reasons for her to be vomiting. Absolutely. So, so she, yeah. she got a urinalysis. She got a preg screen. She Excellent. got Because you can't, you don't want to just go, oh, I think it's pot. Exactly. And, and this was a very experienced eMERGE physician as a last resort saying, I don't believe her. Exactly. Let's give her Haldol. She did not look like a, a drug user, yeah. which a lot of people who smoke marijuana don't. Yeah, because like I, I I think I do want to emphasize that because you know this could be hyperemesis gravida. So checking a quantitative beta or urine beta, depending on your specific gravity of the urine, could be a be, weird migraine. Could be a weird weird migraine yeah, or Addison's sort of disease thing. or endocrine Absolutely. or drug withdrawal or even especially in that age group, uh, anorexia nervosa, bulimia, something else that's going on. So definitely, as you said, thankfully, a 
uh, experienced eMERGE physician, but try to not anchor on that diagnosis and right. make sure we I, rule out other I don't things. think running with two and a half a Haldol to someone who's vomited a couple times after smoking pot should be your first line treatment. No, absolutely. It should be, a, and you'll know it's time for that because you've ruled everything out everything and tried everything out. and there's nothing left to do. No, good good point though. So how would how do we manage these patients? Again, I think we just sort of talked about that. Standard yeah. treatment, you know, make sure that that you check their airway, breathing, Even circulation, circulation check yeah. a blood sugar, make sure they're not a DKA, consider IV hydration, check their electrolytes. These people do look, they look sick. She looked sick. She yeah. didn't look like she was faking it. And I think that's an important thing. Sometimes these, these syndromes, whenever you put syndrome around yeah. something, there's an element of judgment maybe that gets placed on it because you know emergency nurses are totally free of judgment <laughs> um, but it is important to understand these people do look sick so yeah. do your normal workup make sure you rule everything out for everyone's protection including the patient but you may find that after some maxaran or ondansetron that it's just not working yeah. and so uh, for us, we used Haldol. This was what this physician used. It yeah. worked great. There is some mention of maybe using benzodiazepines as well. So some Versed or Ativan yeah. uh, may work. But it, it is sort of weird. You're going down the antipsychotic road exactly. versus the anti-emetics, yeah. um, which, which was what Stematil was used for. Yeah, many years ago, and may still be used in some places. Absolutely, for and, and actually, I've heard that there might be some value in using some kind of antispasmodic as well, like a buscapan for some of the symptom relief as well. That right. might be helpful from the abdominal pain from all that vomiting. So uh, anyway, on to well, long-term management. Let's just get a picture of of Ronald Reagan. Was it Ronald Reagan? I can't remember. It might have been. I think it was Ronald Reagan. Just or say Nancy. no to drugs. Yeah. Uh, maybe, oh, maybe it was, it was Nancy. Barbara Bush. No, Who I think knows? it was before that. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, some American politician once yes. who was in a very position of very high power said, just say no to drugs. Abstinence is the treatment. Yeah. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your outlook on marijuana use, stopping the marijuana will stop the symptoms for the people who are susceptible to this. Starting it will start up the symptoms. Yeah. And they need to make their own choices in that. I think um, it's kind of like being an alcoholic, right? I think mm -hmm. that, you know, your brain just kind of, as soon as alcohol gets into your system then you have to keep on doing it and, yeah. and then you feel sick. Mm. So it's the same thing, you know, yeah. unfortunately this isn't a drug or this kind of a syndrome when you have it, you need to stop because every time you take it, you're going to have a delayed relapse, but it is going to happen again. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, referral to any drug or alcohol program that you have, it, it is, it is a, a substance. And, and the fact that it's illegal or legal really shouldn't differentiate it. No. If, if people are addicted to tobacco, a perfectly legal substance in most of the world, not that it's good, but uh, it is an addiction. And so yeah. they, whether marijuana is legal or illegal, it is a substance that referring them to drug or alcohol counseling could uh, assist them Absolutely. at some point, for sure. So in summary, for my part, the four features of, of CHS, heavy marijuana use, recurrent episodes of severe nausea and vomiting, abdominal cramping, uh, compulsive bathing <laughs> for transient symptom relief, and the resolution of the symptoms goes away with cessation of the cannabis use. Be aware of anchoring on a diagnosis. Make sure that they're not, you know, pregnant or uh, metabolically something's something. going on yeah. there. You don't want to send the diabetic home in DKA because yeah. you because they smoked pot once. And it might be helpful to make a, a treatment plan, especially those of you in, in communities where you're maybe seeing the same people come in, familiar faces programs or yeah. those sorts of things where people have a standard care plan. 
which benefits all of us. It benefits the staff, the, the physicians, and the patient for sure if we manage their condition the same way when they come into the emergency department. Excellent. So there it is, the wacky world of uh, weed. And I do think, as you said, as we become where it has become legalized and, and we certainly are using medicinal marijuana, there will be an opportunity, I think, in the next few years to actually have research that actually shows the propensity of all of these different conditions and how often they do happen because we're going to have a certain population that we can actually do some research on and understand the effects of marijuana. We certainly have seen effects of tobacco and I think this will be an interesting area in the next 10 or 15 years to start seeing some of the um, adverse outcomes from marijuana use. All right and uh, so we'll see you guys next time and thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca